Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thank you so much for joining me today. Another great interview. I am interviewing Colin Thompson. Now, I reached out to Colin for two reasons. One, he's a fantastic life coach, going to teach us a lot of really important things. Our first uh, probably 10, 15 minutes is talking a lot about his his life coaching business. Um, but after that, and the area that I was most interested in for this podcast was he actually lives in China. He lives in Shanghai. So we're going to talk a lot about Chinese culture, some of the Chinese stereotypes, lot about how um, COVID started in China and how they dealt with it in the beginning, in the middle, and now. Really interesting to learn a little bit more about China because, you know, we we hear a lot in the news, um, but we don't really have that perspective from someone living there. He's lived there for 12 years. Um, Before that, he did live in the United States. Um, He's originally from Canada and Jamaica. We'll go into all of that. Um, but it was a really, really interesting just to hear kind of an insider's perspective on China. Um, obviously, his, his perspective is a little bit biased given that he lives there. His wife is Chinese. Um, so do do realize that, not to say that, uh, you know, he said anything overly fantastic about China that's, that's not true or that he said anything, um, you know, super bad. I think that he was a very fair assessment uh, a very real assessment um, but but do realize that everyone comes uh, you know with their own their own thoughts and their own bias and that doesn't necessarily mean that's how I feel or that it's not how I feel um, didn't really want to have to give a disclaimer because I think it was a really powerful um, fair conversation but I do just want to throw that in there um, I, it was a really great conversation I really enjoyed talking to him I think you're gonna really enjoy listening to it. Like I said, first 15 minutes, we're going to talk about his life coaching. Um, Then we're going to talk a lot about China. End with a really, really powerful, um, motivational thought and uh, something I think that will really help you kickstart your day, um, evening, whenever you're listening to this. So please uh, please join along, and uh, here's my interview with Colin Thompson. All right, I'm here today with Colin Thompson. Colin, how are you today? Hey, Jackson, I am doing great. It is um, a, a very sunny, shiny day here in Shanghai, China. Yeah, and that, that's, that's the big difference. I had to say, how are you doing today? It's, it's in the morning there. I, I think, you, what is it, 8 a.m., 9 a.m.? 9 a.m. It's nine, so it's exactly 12 hours ahead of us. So you're already seeing, uh, you're already seeing tomorrow, and it's, it's 9 p.m. here. But, but yeah, thanks so much for, for being with me. If you would, um, obviously, your, your overarching thing is that you're a life coach, but if you would, let's just go back to kind of the beginning of, of your life and tell us a little bit about growing up. Well, thank you, Jackson. And um, my overarching thing is I'm a life coach. Yeah, that, that's interesting. <laughs> I that because, you know, I've always tried to be in a position to help inspire and motivate people to live a better life. So looking at my upbringing, I am the, I'm a, I guess you can say I'm the, not, I guess you can say I am literally the the son of immigrants. My parents immigrated from Jamaica to Canada, and then again from Canada to the U.S. I was born in Canada and immigrated to the U.S. when I was about eight years old, back in the 80s. Uh, immigrating from being a son of immigrants really gave, gave you a, a hunger to exceed, 
to succeed, excuse me, meaning that not looking at the situation in front of you and saying to yourself, your limitations, but really always trying to do more, do more, do more. I say that because one of the reasons that people immigrate is because where they're living is not working out and they want to go somewhere that has more opportunities. And even today in 2020, the United States is still the land of milk and honey. So when we get there, we really, really have a hunger to take advantage of that. So from a very young age, I wanted to, I guess you can say, do more, be more. And as I grew up, it sort of shifted to wanting to help people to do more because I found that a lot of people in the U.S., and this is a global thing, not just the U.S., but they really looked at life as having a lot of limitations. So growing up, um, luckily, I was very good in sports. And I grew up not too far from you in Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, I know you again. It's not too, not too, too far. Not uh, far at all. <laughs> yeah, I grew up there, and um, luckily I was very good in sports. And sports gave me opportunity to do two things. One, my first taste at leadership, being a a very good wrestler, being a very good football player, uh, team captains, we had to motivate our teammates. We had to, in, in football, motivating a teammate is very easy because you have eleven people, and other folks can motivate. But in wrestling, it's harder because you have how do you motivate a teammate? who just lost five matches to go out and work hard. So wrestling gave, um, sports gave me my first taste of leadership, but also gave me my entry into college. I was, uh, sometimes when you weigh heavy on sports, you don't weigh heavy on academics. Mm-hmm. I graduated high school, sad to say, with a 2.1 GPA, which is, you know, yes, out of four. Let me clarify, this is 2.1 out of four. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only reason I got into college was because I, I got a sports scholarship. So I'm very, very lucky about that. I did go to Howard University, which is a HBCU, a historically black college and university in Washington, D.C., where I very much learned that last piece to myself, the knowledge of, you know, I say knowledge of self, uh, learning the true history of African-Americans, the true history of black people, the diaspora from Africa. Uh, once I had that piece, I was really ready to, I guess you can say, go forward with a, what I call a purpose in life. And um, I graduated, I majored in IT, graduated, worked for a number of years for some very outstanding companies as a consultant with Ernst & Young, uh, IBM, and I made it here to China in 2008 with IBM uh, after I got my MBA in e-business, electronic business, and supply chain management. So I've been here in China for about 12 years now. Gotcha. You mentioned that IBM brought you over to, to China, and that's where you still are. I assume uh, through through you know your website that you're not still with IBM. So what made you stay in China? Yeah, so I came to I joined IBM. Very interesting. When I got my MBA in 2006, when I got when I earned my MBA, <laughs> it was it was a lot of hard work. In 2006, I purposely looked for a company that could get me international experience. I wanted to get back out of the U.S because I knew that there was a different mindset globally. I wanted to gain more and learn more about that mindset. IBM, they, didn't, they couldn't guarantee me I would get international exposure, but they did say that there's a strong likelihood they could help me help me out there. So I joined IBM and as you may know, as you mentioned, you like traveling. One of the best ways to get abroad for more than just a vacation is to go either through school or through a job because both of those things pull you over, meaning the structure for you when you land. If you go to school, the school will take care of you. If you go to a job, the job will take care of you also. So those are the best two ways of getting, getting abroad. Uh, luckily, I went there with IBM uh, back in 2008, and I've been here 12 years. Now, my experience in China with IBM 
I gotta say this tremendous. The people you meet, uh, you're not just meeting local people, you're meeting people from the, from the, from the, the international uh, spectrum. So great experience. In 2015, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I've always been big on motivating, uh, inspiring public speaking. I love trying to use my words to inspire and motivate people. Of course, inspiration and motivation doesn't last. And Jackson, I'll tell you, you give me an hour with you, I will motivate the heck out of you. I, I will have you running through a wall. You might not make it through the wall, but I'll have you try it. <laughs> okay. Now, that, that's Friday. So is right? that motivating me into insanity? Or? Well, if you want to, if you want to go through the wall, <laughs> it's up to you, right? But you know, I'll I'll motivate you today, and I guarantee you, for the next two or three days, you'll be highly motivated, highly inspired. All right. Come next week, not so much, not so much. Um, the motivation goes away, and I, I, I bring it back to my IBM story like this. When I was working with IBM uh, internally, they knew I was really good at talking to people, inspiring them, motivating them, and they asked me to volunteer for an internal program to be a coach, to start coaching employees, start coaching leaders and helping them improve their careers and improve their, improve their way of working. Uh, this was what I call my aha moment. Uh, I'd heard of coaching before, but coaching was something, I always thought coaching was telling people how to do something, play sports or whatnot. But in reality, coaching isn't telling people how to do anything at all. Coaching is really guiding people helping them find their own way. So to me, this was the last piece of my puzzle. Meaning, again, if I motivate you and inspire you today, it goes away. But if I coach you, I'm coaching, I'm staying with you throughout your journey. I'm helping you get from A to B. And typically, A is somewhere you're trying to move away from, you're trying to improve and go to a higher level. B is somewhere that you feel your life will be improved. And odds are, if, you, if your life is improved, you're improving the life, the life of your family and friends also. So being able to do that and not just rely on motivation was tremendous. So I spent the next few years with an IBM, coaching individuals, coaching teams, coaching leaders on how to really improve their lives. And quite frankly, to be honest with you, how to really improve the way they were working. Now, there was a conflict, to be honest with you, because if you mentioned that, if you shared with me, and coaching is a very upfront and honest experience, and you're sharing with me some of your life's dreams, what you really want to attain, and in reality, to attain that, you need to leave, uh, you, you need to leave the company. This is, you know, yeah. if, you, if, you want, if you really want to go for something, you know, I, but, but I could not give you any feedback that said do that because the person who pays my bill the person who pays my, I'm sorry, the person who pays me, the person who pays me, so I must be loyal to them first. So there was a little, a little conflict there, but that didn't bother me so much because people were still, you know, having their aha moments and improving their lives. But my job was moving to another city in China from Shanghai to Beijing, and I did not want to go to Beijing. It's a very different atmosphere there. And I told my wife that uh, this is my opportunity to really go for what I wanted to do. And I told, I, I told another friend this, and her response was, Colin, you know, you've always said you wanted to do A, and A being really going to your own company, inspiring people, motivating people, coaching people. If you don't do it now, maybe you won't do it. Hmm. So she sort of called me out. So my wife told me, you know, Colin, go for it. My friend told me this is your chance to do it. So I, I went for it. And that was 2017. So it's been about three years now where I've been on this, uh, on this path of an entrepreneur, entrepreneur uh, 
business owner, small business owner. Uh, and it's been a very interesting journey, but wanting to really help people it's really been the, 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 the reason, help people in their life, improve their lives. That was the driver with me really going for, not leaving IBM, but really going for my, my, my passion and dream after. Yeah, so it sounds like you know, your, your friends and family in the beginning kind of was your motivation and coach into to getting into this profession. It's interesting because yes, my friends and family, they really gave me the, the thumbs up. And I wasn't prepared for that, to be honest with you, because a lot of times when we look to our friends and family and tell them we want to do something that's different, now, luckily, they knew my passion for years. But a lot of times, you tell your friends and family you want to try something, and their response might be, I don't know, maybe not. You know, maybe you should get another job. You know, they, they don't always support you. Some people who don't have what I call unreasonable confidence, they may bow to that. You know, you have to have faith in yourself. You have to be your biggest cheerleader. Luckily, my wife was the first one who said, go for it. You know, she really believed in me. Uh, she really knew that. And, I, and my family as well. They knew that whatever happens to me, I'm going to end up on my feet. And I, I recall saying, wait a second, somebody tell me this is stupid. And they wouldn't do that. They said, Colin would be okay. Yeah. But I, I, really wanted, I really wanted the voice of reason. Somebody to say, Colin, don't do it. Go get that paycheck because it's been three years, man. I haven't had a paycheck. You know, I've, I've earned money, but I haven't had a you know, paycheck from, from another company. So um, knowing that the paycheck is, is going to stop coming, everybody, everybody was just like, you know, Colin, go for it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. I'm like, somebody tell me I'm, I'm being stupid here, but nobody would tell yeah. me that. So, so having, a lot of, having a lot of people pushing you also helps. For sure. Some people, sometimes you, people have more faith in you than you have in yourself. So that's really, that's really cool. So I, I definitely want to get a, a lot more into, you know, your time in China, definitely given you know, China's forefront in the news right now. But if I could, let me just ask you one more question when it comes to your coaching. So what, what kind of people do you, you coach now? What is your, I guess, your ideal client? And I'm sure you're not going to want to say a, an ideal because there's probably a lot of different types of clients. But, but what, what kind of clients do you generally uh, you, you work with? I generally work with frustrated people. And what I mean by that is people who are frustrated with where their life is at that moment. That may be people who are working a job where they're not valued and they want to get a better, a new and better job. It can be people who want to go to a different career, meaning changing their career. It's also people who are frustrated with their relationships. For example, they may, they may have the personality where they're, they snap a lot, meaning if they get, if somebody on the subway bumps their shoulder, they're gonna yell at them. Uh, people who have uh, uh, who, who tend to be more angry and, and they want to learn how to be more calm. People who want to improve their health, whether that be losing weight, whether that be a mindset. So it's really people who want to improve their lives because they recognize that the way they're living their life, it might be okay. Perhaps if they continue on the same road, things will be fine but they want something better. So I say people who are frustrated, and that's, that's very important because for a lot of people, until you reach frustration, you're not making any changes to improve. So I work with people who are, who are on the inside frustrated. If you met them, you never know that there's a storm going on in their mind. And I think this is great because they really have taken the third step into really improving their lives. The first step is saying, you know what, I'm frustrated. The second step 
is finding somebody to help you. And the third step is really investing in that person, meaning hiring that person and going forward. Because the first two steps are easy. The third one, when you're actually paying your money, and that's when you're saying, you know what, I believe this can help, help me and I'm making an investment in my future. So I would say those would be the sort of people I help and they range from, uh, of course I'm here in China, so they range from um, Chinese locals, they also range from people from Europe, from Africa, and a lot from the U.S. One of the great tools we have now with coaching uh, previously was face-to-face -face over the phone, but now of course we have Zoom, so I now have more coaching, more clients, excuse me, literally from all over the world. So, so what is a, you know, what is your coaching sessions look like? You, you get on the, the Zoom calls and just kind of talk through the issues and, and work on them to, to gain the, the confidence to, to do whatever they need to do next in life? Or how, what does that look like? Yeah, so typically uh, somebody may reach out to me and say they, they, have, uh, they have something in their life they want to attain. And I'll be very specific. I'll say, okay, so let's, let's put this, your goal in, in a smart category, how to make your goal smart, uh, specific, measurable, uh, attainable, realistic, and time-based, right? To make sure it's a very clear goal. And we do that because with, with, when you work with a coach, you want to focus on a single goal at a time. You want to sort of have tunnel vision. So we'll spend some time really clarifying what that goal, what that person wants to attain, when they want to attain, and more importantly, how will their life be impacted or changed when they attain that goal? What person must they become in order to attain that goal? What person must they avoid, so to speak, in order to attain that goal? You know, if you know that we're meeting every week or every two weeks, I'm gonna ask you, okay, how are we doing? Are you on the track? If you haven't done your homework, I'm gonna ask you, what prevents you from doing your homework? How can we avoid it from happening before? So it's really a, a partnership, helping a, helping a client get from where they are to where they wanna be. You know, obviously you are in China and I wanted to get back to that. So if you would just tell us how it was to be in China, you said that you've been there for 12 years. So you really saw not just, you know, China when, when this pandemic began, but how China was before then. So if you would tell us about the beginning days of, uh, you know, this, this COVID-19 pandemic. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, just a light question there. Yeah, Nothing, to it. Nothing to it. <laughs> I, and I say wow because I think from the, the standpoint of the U.S., and not just U.S., every other country except China was able to, to look to their news channel to see what was taking place first. In China, it happened here. And I remember it took place during the Chinese New Year. Which is the which is back in January and Chinese New Year is literally the largest migration or travel period in the world. You have about a hundred million people traveling during that time. So my wife, who is Chinese, we were in her hometown in South China when this is probably January, let's say the nineteenth, rather nineteenth. And on the news, there there was a news story that out of Wuhan, China, there's some sort of sickness. And if you've traveled to Wuhan in the last few days go to the hospital. Uh, if you're not in Wuhan, don't go to Wuhan. So people just started talking about it. What's going on? No big deal. Uh, 12 hours later, Wuhan is, is closed down. You can't go, I mean, I mean, literally, you, you can't get in, you can't get out. Everybody overnight bought masks. We're in the countryside. There are, there are no masks in the countryside, but we found masks. So now I'm saying, oh my gosh, what is going on? 
if they're saying we're, we were about, I would say maybe 500, 600 miles away from Wuhan, and they're saying we're masked everywhere. What's going on? So we decided to rush back to Shanghai because if they closed the airports, which at that time we didn't know what was going on, we want to make sure we're back home. When we get to, got to the airport, everybody had a mask on. So 24 hours earlier, no mask anywhere. One day later, everybody's wearing a mask, even my, even my, at the time, my six-month-old baby. So very scary because they're saying, what the heck is this, this thing? Because back then, it wasn't, it wasn't COVID, it was coronavirus. So when I re we arrived back in Shanghai, one of the first things I did was uh, reach out to my clients who are in China. And each of them said, Colin, they wanted to pause the coaching because they want to take care of their families. And I agreed. I said, right now, my focus is on making sure my family is safe, making sure how do I make sure the household is virus free and making sure that we're not doing anything to bring the virus in. So the first priority was keeping our family safe. So we put a pause in coaching and over the next week, two weeks, I think my wife almost went crazy. Reason being, she was very much watching the TV. Now this is, gosh, the first two weeks. And the first two weeks, the first thing you heard every morning was how many more people died? How many more people got sick? And at this point, it was, no, it was, it was really uh, not frustrating, but really crazy because we're now looking at how many people are in Shanghai? How far from the house are they? So, and my wife, my wife and baby didn't go outside for like six weeks, literally didn't go outside for six weeks. I was going outside every day because the city was empty now everybody was inside. So in China, mm -hmm. if they say stay inside and wear a mask, everybody stays inside. It's not like other countries. Everybody does stay inside. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was very, very scary. But one of the things um, that changed, and I'll, I'll go into this more later, one of the things that changed was how we delivered coaching. Because as I mentioned, we took a pause from coaching. But then more people contacted me and said, Colin, now I'm working from home. The home now is the gym, the, the restaurant, the, 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 the salon, the school, the work area, and families now are being forced to stay in, inside. And it's not easy. It's not easy. Uh, fathers are going a little bit crazy. Wives are going crazy. Kids are going crazy. And now people need a coaching on how to maintain the sanity during this COVID time. So a lot more, more clients reached out. Just a side question that I, I've been thinking, obviously you're in China, you're coaching a lot of, of Chinese residents. So do you, do you speak Chinese? I'm okay. I, I don't coach in okay? Chinese. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I call it uh, one level above survival. So yeah. I, can go out, <laughs> I can go outside and, you know, buy things, restaurants, get a taxi, all, all those sort of things. No problem. But I'm not, I, I like to say, I can tell you, you have a nice shirt on, yeah. but I can't say I like the button on your shirt. All right. Uh, so I, can't, I can't go too far into detail. If you would, just obviously, you, you, we talked about the beginning and, and, you know, where you were at that stage. So after that, as the months drug on, what did, what did China do, you know, as a, as a country and you guys as citizens to begin overcoming it? Because, you know, even though you guys were at the forefront, if I'm not mistaken, I think that you guys are a lot further along at this point than we are. Yeah, and Jack, that is a great, a great point you made because back in March, April, May, even June, I was a COVID expert. 
man, I had so many people from the U.S. watching my videos, reaching out to me for advice. I actually felt, myself and other coaches, we felt very, very good because we were giving back, we were helping out. We called ourselves uh, the, the, the second line. You know, you have those, those folks on the front line, the nurses, the doctors, delivery people, people working in grocery stores, the folks who had to continue to work and put themselves in harm's way. We called ourselves the back line because we're helping people back at home. And mm -hmm. I, I'll tell you, after about four months, after June, July, everybody globally started having more experience than, than we had. Because in China, in July, things really started going back to normal. Even here in Shanghai, I don't think Shanghai had over 2,000 cases. Uh, China had about 30,000 cases, which is very questionable. I'll admit, very questionable. But things got back to normal. So right now, when I go outside, the only time I wear a mask is if I go on a bus or a subway, public transportation. Beyond that, and people still wear masks outside, but it's not mandatory. But what really helped us early, now this comes down to the, the, the government structure and the mindset of the people. So back in, in, in January, February, the government said, we recommend for you to stay inside. If you go outside, wear a mask. Now what this meant, this meant that 90% of the people didn't go outside. Maybe one person from the family went outside to get food, but folks didn't go outside. Literally, didn't literally did not go outside for weeks and weeks and weeks. Not one foot. If people went outside, one hundred percent of people had a mask on. There was no question as to my rights. Yada yada yada. And that really helped a lot because a few months later, the the, the restrictions come down, and I go outside now, and it's like normal. Now there aren't as many foreigners here because. China is concerned of bringing the, the, the virus back in, but China was very good at, the people were very good at following the, the, the guidance, following the recommendations. And I think that really, really helped. So uh, I think China had 12 new cases uh, uh, two days ago. So right now, I don't think there are, there, what they're saying, let me say that, I don't think there are over 100 active cases out of the almost 1 billion people here in China. So we were very fortunate that over here, you don't, you don't, you know, there is no protest here. You can't protest here. You can't, you cannot protest here, right? You cannot talk about my rights here. So I think in this case that helped, it helped to really make sure that, that, the, that the virus didn't spread. Right, right. And I mean, obviously there's, there's a lot of people that, you know, listen that probably are in America and are all about, you know, their, their rights and stuff, which, you know, there's, there, I, I try not to take any kind of opinion. So there's things to be said on both, both sides, but the easiest thing is, is exactly what you said, where people followed, you know, the guidance and now you guys are almost back to normal. So, I mean, it, it's, it, it's easy just to say, you know, I want to do what I want to do, but we're just going to have to keep on being where we are if we, if we don't just eventually just do what we need to do. So there's a doing what you want to do and there's doing what we need to do. And I think that right. a lot of, a lot of places have, I guess for the, the common good, um, have, have done what they need to do. So you, you say that it's almost completely back to, to normal in China. So that's, that's really, really interesting. And that's, that's good. I think that's the case a lot of places. So what, uh, you know, obviously you can't answer for, for China as a whole, but what, how is, how is China, I guess it's a hard question to, to ask. I don't exactly know how to ask it. The government here, you know, they, they've tried to put a lot of, of blame on China for, for 
what's happened. I guess what, uh, how does how does China feel about that? Do they really, does it seem like, you know, it doesn't really matter or are you guys hearing about that or? It, 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 I'll tell you the truth here. I, although I'm not Chinese, my, my wife is, I've been here 12 years. You have a lot of foreigners who are here also. And I think a lot of the foreigners took more issue with what was being said because they were here and they went through it and they know what took place. Not what we, not what we are reading in the media or watching on TV, literally being here and seeing how, how people in Wuhan were dying and seeing what the government did to prevent the spread. So I think that it's a fact that the, that the coronavirus started here in China. Uh, but I think the rhetoric on how it's a, it's a, the Kung Fu, the Kung Fu disease or the China disease, I think that's just rhetoric. I think what the world is seeing, and I'll say outside of the, the U.S., I think Europe, Africa, South America, they have been, even Australia, they've been very thankful for China, for helping China, for China sending over doctors, sending over nurses, sending over um, supplies, uh, and now uh, making the vaccine available to those countries once China has it. And so I think what China did very early, they took the experience that was gained uh, being the, 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 the focal point of the outbreak and exported that experience to other countries to help them cope with it. So I think that that noise or that success has been louder than the noise of, of China being blamed for it. There's no, there's no doubt it started here in China, but I think China did a good job of also exporting their knowledge and expertise in how to combat the, the, the virus. And the, the people in China individually, they really don't care. They hear it, but their view is, well, whatever, it, it's rhetoric. Um, people here aren't so political, uh, maybe in Beijing, but in, in China, people really just want to live life. They want to cause trouble. They want to live life, um, spend time with their families, and they don't really get caught up in the, in the he say, she say, in that part of it. Right, right. So if you would, let's just kind of go to China as a whole, not just this last year. You've lived there for 12 years. Actually, watched a documentary not too long ago and just the, I guess, the growth of, of China. Almost every year, there's just huge, huge growth. Um, you know, this documentary said something crazy like, like I, I don't remember, was every 12 days there's a new skyscraper built in China. So I just wonder exactly how much growth you've seen. Obviously, you're in Shanghai, so it's always been a pretty big city, but, but do you see just this, this huge, huge growth? I am very fortunate that I, I, I see this almost on a daily basis. So when I moved to China back in 2008, I first spent my first four years in Shenzhen. Shenzhen is the southernmost part of China. And the city now, I think the city is maybe 40 years old. Go back 40 years, it was a fishing village. Hmm. Um, almost no sort of, sort of economy there. But it was deemed in China to be the next high-tech corridor. So for the next 40 years, they built, 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 built. So we call things here Shenzhen speed, which, which means is you can see a, a old building on Friday and one month later, you have a skyscraper there. They build things very, very fast. I mean, very, very fast. Literally, there was a, let's say a, a, a five acres worth of, of swampland. And what, they, what they'll do is they will, they will take a swamp area and they will put, uh, they call it the reclaimed area. They'll, they'll, it's ocean area, but they'll put dirt there and sand there. And for seven years, and seven years later, 
you can build on, on that land. So you may have a beachfront area one day, then come 10 years later, there's no beach anymore, right? But they build very, very fast. And I was very intrigued by that because growing up in the U.S., especially in Louisville, everything's been there forever. So you're not seeing, you may see a new building, but you're not seeing really, really new construction. You may see something get refurbished, but in Shenzhen, you were seeing swampland or just empty fields being turned into neighborhoods. In Shanghai, what you're seeing is the city is very old, but the city is growing wider. So what was, what was maybe called the suburbs outside of Shanghai is now part of Shanghai because they keep building, building, building. But even in downtown and, you know, even in the city, you, you see that they're building higher and higher and higher, and they'll take a, an old neighborhood, so, so to speak, and tr transform that into a shopping mall or, or new skyscrapers. So they're building up a lot, and I've never witnessed this before, and I think it's great because I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm literally seeing a city continue to be built that's already here. And in the U.S., you just don't see it like that. And the, what they do here is they throw a thousand people on these jobs. One of the ways that they keep people employed here is they don't use as much what I call big equipment. They use a lot of people with hand tools, but they get the job done and people being employed. And, you know, if you're building a, a skyscraper what, or a big building, what they do is on site, you have, if you can think of a trailer, the, tra the, the um, on the back of a semi truck, they'll have maybe 10 of those and those become dorms for the, for the employees. So they literally live on a construction site and they're working every day from the sun up to sundown. And the, the, the ecosystem is there and it's, it's tremendous. It's really, it's really something to, to, to see. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, as, a, as an American in China, obviously you've been there for, for a long time, so you, you must enjoy it. But just to, I always like to kind of break down stereotypes if, if possible. You know, obviously the American mindset with China is that, you know, there's, all kinds of oppression and then people aren't happy. And I know that's not the case. So if you could just speak to, to them. Yeah. Uh, I am Canadian. I am a Canadian citizen. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you did say you, you immigrated there. I didn't know exactly how long, you know, from Jamaica to, to yeah. Canada uh, to America. Yeah. The, the life here, the question was the, the life lifestyle here, right? The oppression and whatnot. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, even last week, I was talking to some friends in the U.S., and we were talking about what's going to take place in November, and one of them said, we know, Colin, you're there in China, the biggest communist country in the U.S. You know, how do you feel? I said, you know, it's interesting, because I don't feel it here. You know, there are birds chirping outside, you can go outside for a run. So it's very similar to life in the U.S., whereas you don't really feel the oppression. Now, I will say this. One thing that is very true, uh, that things are censored here in China. Uh, you don't have all of the, the rights that you have in the U.S., but, not but, however, if you grow up in that structure where you don't have the right to protest, then you've never really had a desire to protest hmm. because it's never been an option. And I, I say that very important because it's, 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 if you're born in the U.S. and come to China, you'll say, wow, you can't do this, you can't do that. But they never have had a desire to do that. Now, some people want to do that. Let me, let me clarify. For example, my wife was born in China. She went to Hong, she moved to Hong Kong and became a Hong Kong resident. Hong Kong, you can protest. So she got out of China and she tasted for the first time really freedom. We have all your rights. 
coming her coming back to China, Shanghai was very difficult because she knew that coming back here, for example, in Hong Kong, you have Facebook, you have all the online tools, all the social media tools. In China, no. So she felt that she's now being stifled here because she's tasted freedom, right? She yeah. tasted she tasted that, so it's hard for her to come back here. But I would say for the average citizen, and I'm, of course I'm not, I'm not Chinese, but for the average person here, each year their lives get better, meaning they're making more money, there are more opportunities, there are more jobs here. So, and you know, their, their parents, their families are doing better every year also. So for most people here, it's okay. Now, if you ask them, you know, behind closed doors, they will say that they feel a certain way about, you know, the, the government structure here, but all in all, they're okay. So how much is the, I guess, difference in, in class structure? Because obviously you see this, the skyscrapers, but then there's also some areas that are, are I guess, kind of third world potentially. Is there a, a, a large, large difference in, in how some people are living in China versus others? There's a drastic difference. And that typically is people who live in a major city versus people who live in the countryside. In the countryside, this, these are areas that I'm trying to think of if, how to equate to the U.S. I don't think there's anything in the U.S. like this. But if you think about the countryside where you, you, you may have a village that has maybe, let's say, three, 4,000 people, and there may, may be no, no streetlights. I mean, it's very, very rural, very, very rural. And the, the, the cost of living there is very low. But what happens is, in the countryside, you'll see older people, seniors, and you'll see young people, meaning any, anybody below the age of high school. Reason being, all of the parents, college age, they go to the big city to work and send money back home. So China is now trying to bring more opportunity to the countryside. But in the big cities, in the big cities, it's like any major city. Now, one thing I'll, I'll tell you is I've been here 12 years. I've probably seen 10 panhandlers in that time. Um, I've never seen any, I've never seen any, what we will call the ghetto or slums. I've never seen that. Um, you won't see that in China. Even the poor neighborhoods have a structure to it. Um, and I tell you, I don't even know where the poor neighborhoods are. Uh, they are there. There are poor neighborhoods. But, it, but China is very big on what people can see. So the, the poor neighborhoods will still have good buildings. They'll have um, um, what, what you call... Um, programs for people who live there will help subsidize their rent. So you're not going to see any slum areas. Not even that. You won't see any what we call hoopties. You know hoopties, right? You, you won't see any broken down cars here. If you have a car, um, the car has to be in a, in a certain shape. You're not going to see any sort of cars with, with big dents or big, uh, uh, you know, cars that make a lot of noise that, that looks as if they're, they're going to fall apart. You're not going to see that here. Um, everything has to be up to a certain standard. So I think they do a very good job, but there is a, a, a big gap between the lifestyle in a city and a lifestyle in the countryside. Right. So to, to, to move on to our, our last area, tell me a little bit about how people are going to be able to reach you. If, if they heard what you were saying, you know, about, coaching um and about other other things how are they going to be able to to reach you they they say colin he he really's got his stuff together and i want to be a part of him yeah yes so thank you jackson and let me just add something here because i want to let your audience know why they should reach me 
yeah. uh, I mentioned earlier, I do have a life coaching business. So I do help people to really improve their lives. And I, I love to say two things. Living a life by design is the best way to live your life. What that means is not letting, not letting the ups and downs of life prevent you from living your life the way you want to live. Um, living, allowing yourself to just say, you know what, I want to be safe. I want to do what I'm doing because I don't want to take a chance. That's not living life. When you're on your deathbed, hopefully everybody's on their deathbed, meaning not an accident, you're on your deathbed and you're able to, to visualize and think about your final moments. Hopefully you won't have any regrets. I know for myself, I've tried to put myself in that situation and that pushed me to really go for living my life by design. And my life by design is really about helping other people. So uh, one of the things that we also learned this year is we have almost one degree of separation now. And that's called Zoom. That's mm -hmm. called telephone. It's very easy to get in contact. So um, I'll give you my website information. And guys, girls, ladies, men, if you need some assistance in improving your life, reach out to me. Literally, you can, you can reach, send me an email and we can be on a call within five, six, seven days. And it's just that quick. And one of the things that we do, we absolutely have a conversation, no charge. I want to know more about uh, what you want to do in life. I want to know more about whether or not coaching is right for you. But more importantly, I want you to also get to know me. I want you to feel comfortable. I want you to, to really start taking a step towards improving your life. Even if we have a conversation and you don't go, we don't go forward together, at least you've made that, that what, that's the second step of reaching out to a coach. So my website is oligye.com, oligye.com. And once you go to the website, you can navigate to how to make an appointment and contact me. Now, one of the other things I also offer is inspiration motivation. If you need to be inspired, if you need to be motivated, reach out to me. Let's, let's get on the phone for an hour. Let's, let's talk about how we can help you get motivated and inspired. Now, motivation and inspiration does not last. It does not last. But the goal here is to get your motor going. And once you get your motor going, you're able to find things to help you keep going, 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 and going. So motivation isn't the key. Motivation is the trigger. So reach out to me again, O-L-I-G-Y-E.com, and let's find some time and have a conversation. Where, where did that, that uh, I guess, website come from? Because when I first saw the website, I was confused and thought that was your first name, and I was trying real hard to figure out how I was going to, how I pronounced that. So what, what, is, what is that? So it's Oli Guy, Oli Guy. And I'll, I'll tell you the, the quick story. So when I was in college, I pledged fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha, which is the oldest black fraternity globe in, in, in globe. A lot of very famous and prominent people were, were alphas. And in the, when you pledge, you get nicknames. Hmm. One of the names I got was Ole Guy. And I got that for well, a lot of reasons, but primarily one reason. I mentioned earlier that I got a scholarship to play sports. I got a scholarship to be on a wrestling team, so I wrestled in college. So wrestling is um, it's not, it's not a form of fighting. I call it a form of defense. In Africa, uh, back in the day, and this still takes place, but when boys were going through what they call manhood training, where you enter the training as a boy, and once you finish this training, you're a man. Meaning, now when you go back home, you, your mother is no longer your mother. Uh, you're a man of the house now. You're a man. Part of that manhood training is how to hunt. 
how to how to how to uh, uh, protect yourself. Meaning, if somebody gets sick or injured, how to heal a wound. Uh, several different different aspects of how to become a man. Part of that also was how to protect yourself physically. And there was a wrestler, and back then it wasn't fighting, it was wrestling. There was a, a gentleman named Ole Guy who helped, who taught the boys how to fight, how to protect themselves. So I got that name because uh, I was a wrestler also. But it's very interesting because what he was essentially was a coach, a coach and a trainer. Um, coaching people on how to become a man. So uh, I think the name really found even more meaning to me the last 10 years of my life where I started making that mission, making a mission to really become a coach and a trainer. So, excuse me. So um, older guy, uh, he, was a, a, he was a trainer, wrestler, and a coach who helped men, boys become men. Now look at when you're really looking to improve your life, to go after your goals and dreams, that's when you go from being a, I want to say, a little person to a big person. Absolutely. Well, that, that makes sense. I, I'm glad you gave me some, some context with that. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a, an absolute pleasure. I can say, you know, wholeheartedly if, if people are listening and, and, you know, they, they're, they like what they, they heard and they do want to, to, to speak with you, you're, you're not all that hard to talk to. It's not too right. bad at all. <laughs> yeah. Can I add one more thing? Absolutely. Because, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Because I want to really, leave your, your audience with, with a message because sometimes we need some motivation, some inspiration. We need something to help us, to help push us. One of the things that I, I spent a lot of time, you asked me earlier, what kind of topics I coach on. One topic I coach on very frequently is confidence, how people can build up the self-confidence. And I wanted to just give your audience a little, a little, a few tips on how to build up your self-confidence. And, and I'll say two things. One is you really have to be, your biggest cheerleader. A lot of times we want to do things in life and we just don't have the positive self-talk that we need. If you think about what a cheerleading team does, a cheerleading team roots for the team and they don't root for the team only when the team was winning. They root for the team, win, loss, up or down, it doesn't matter. And actually when a team is losing, they cheer harder and louder. So if you can think about you being your best cheerleader, how can you always support yourself, whether you make a good decision or a bad decision? And it's very important because you, you cannot, you should not depend on other people to have your back. Depend on yourself. Be your biggest cheerleader. And once you become your biggest cheerleader, you also need to develop what I call unreasonable confidence. I call this my Kanye West confidence, meaning you have this high belief in yourself. You know no matter what you're going to succeed, even if you don't have the track record doesn't matter, right? You know you can, you can succeed. People may say to you, wow, you want to do this? I don't think it's good for you. It doesn't matter what they say. You know you can succeed. And the truth is, you can succeed. In this world, we can literally do almost anything we want if we put our mind to it. So guys, be your biggest cheerleader and really learn how to develop unreasonable confidence. It doesn't matter whether or not people see this in you. All that matters is that you see this and know what's in, what's in you. So unreasonable confidence and being your cheerleader. I want to give people that message as, as you think about building up your self-confidence. Very good. Very good. It's been great talking to you. Thanks so much. And there you have it. Our interview with Colin Thompson. Really great guy. Really enjoyed speaking with him. I hope you learned a lot um, about Chinese culture, about um, you know how coronavirus 
began and, and what they did to uh, maybe get through it just a little bit quicker. Um, very much recommend speaking to him should, uh, should any of his services interest you. Um, I want to just thank you again for being here today. Always appreciate um, you listening along. I hope uh, you found something of interest and uh, you learned something. So if you would, follow along, subscribe, whatever you want to do. Uh, let me just throw that in there. Love to have you back next time around. And uh, thanks for being here. Take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.